Amen. Well, my name is Daryl Temple, and after that very interesting introduction and joking around, um, we've been in, I think for at least now six weeks, if memory serves me right, a series called Love Thy Neighbor. Essentially, we're taking a good look at the second commandment, right? And if you're not familiar with the second commandment, God help us. But uh, the second commandment is uh, that we should go into the world and love our neighbors as ourselves. So we're trying to process this as a community and say, God, where are we succeeding in this? Where do we need to grow? And where do we need to be challenged? And um, well, we're looking at uh, some more of the practicals, uh, like the how-tos, like, okay, like, we know we're supposed to, but how do we actually go about doing that? I mean, I, I don't know, maybe some of you are just naturally, like, uh, you know, intelligent, and you already have that answered, but for people who, like me who have a slower mind, uh, I, I actually kind of need the Word of God to kind of help me and kind of um, lay out for me those details so that I can be intentional and not just have it, you know, in my mind somewhere. Like, yeah, well, they, that's a great thought, God, that you want me to love my neighbor. But actually, how do I go about doing that? And if you were with us last week, um, just a little recap. Um, but I would em- encourage, uh, especially as we have like this weird, uh, um, interesting thing going on in our church where people are only coming once to twice a mo- once or twice a month, for you to go back and kind of just reconnect yourself and, 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 and follow along um, in the messages so that you can be caught up and connected because we're really um, not just wanting to preach about this. We're wanting to be intentional about this and actually as a community start doing this, uh, both as a community and as individuals in our home and workspaces and, and campuses and such. And so it'd be just a good idea to get caught up. But if you were here last week, we talked about being led by the Spirit uh, that God wants us to be prophetic. Now, again, this, these are the how-tos, right? Uh, he wants us to be aware of the obvious, and he wants us to use our testimony. And we kind of use John 4 uh, to, to kind of define those terms. And, and today we'll actually be using Acts 17 to, to define some more terms. Uh, now, if I was to um, quickly uh, just break down three things that I want to go after and kind of hopefully by God's word define for us, it, it would be this, uh, uh, get angry, okay, don't, don't, okay, like, uh, we'll, 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 get, we'll get to that, right, I mean, like the Bible said, be angry and don't what, sin, so I mean, we know it's there, we know some of God's people have gotten angry at certain things, so we'll, we'll get there, but that, that's one thing that I kind of want to unpack a little bit, the next is build a rapport, so, so get angry, build a rapport, and be perceptive, get angry, some of you are like, yes, I'm already an angry person. This is great. Sign me up. So, so, so get angry, uh, um, build a rapport, and be perceptive. Now, again, this morning we'll be in Acts ch- chapter 17 to kind of define a- a- a what I'm talking about here. And, and before I get ahead of myself, um, just, just for, uh, to kind of lean on some scholarly knowledge that I certainly don't have, but others do that I've read and kind of studied. But they, uh, meaning scholars, look at Acts 17 as an excellent example of how missionary work should be conducted. Okay, so that's what we're going to build upon. This is great. Paul's already laid out these details for us. We should definitely look at it. Uh, but before we get there, I'd like to kind of get in some of the details of the events happening prior to Acts 17 without taking too much time. So I'm going to kind of blow through Acts chapter 16. I mean, really 
to get a full kind of scope and feel for the events happening in Acts chapter 17, we should probably back up to like chapter 13 of the book of Acts, but we don't have time for that. Uh, so we're going to start in Acts chapter 16, where Paul actually performs an exorcist, okay? Uh, I wanted to say Exodus. It's, uh, I've, I've, in practicing my sermon, I know that sounds weird. Some of us do that as pastors because we don't come by this naturally, this whole pastor gig. Uh, I, and I kept, when I was practicing, kept on saying Exodus. And, and in a way, it is an Exodus, certainly for this woman. Uh, but uh, if we we're to, to really define the term right, it's an exorcist. This woman in Acts chapter 16 is delivered from a demon. If you would turn with me to Acts chapter 16, verse 16 through 18. Are you with me? I know you're with me, but are you, maybe I'll just, are you tracking with me? I'm, okay, all right. Uh, so here we read in Acts chapter 16, verse 16 through 18. As we were going to the place, now we are Paul and Silas. I think later in Acts chapter 17, we find or hear uh, that Timothy is around. You know, Luke is obviously the author of the book of Acts, so he's probably present. And whoever else exists, we don't really know. But, but those are the we. They're going to the place of prayer, which was common. It was common to kind of go to the synagogue and pray at a certain hour of the day. And so along the way, the we come across this girl. Uh, who's uh, a slave and had a spirit of divination. Divin, uh, I always butcher this word. Uh, thank you. Um, she had a spirit on her. Um, and, and she was actually uh, a fortune teller, right? And, and, and by her uh, uh, fortune telling, she brought her owner's great profit is what the scripture says. And in verse 17, it says this, she followed Paul and us crying out, these men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim the way of salvation. Man, it sounds pretty good. I'd, I'd love somebody to say that of me. I mean, that's a pretty good like, accolade, right? I mean, and, but here we are. Paul, what? In verse 18, he becomes what? Annoyed. Not just annoyed, but greatly annoyed. I'm not sure what that looks like. I'm pretty sure I've been greatly annoyed from time to time. But Paul here is not just annoyed, he's really annoyed. And what he does is he turns to the spirit that's in this woman and commands that spirit to come out of her. And in that very hour, that very moment, that spirit left that woman. I know, it's pretty good news, right? I mean, who wouldn't want some of that today, right? An apostolic power. Come on, give us that book of Acts stuff. But here, we tend to romanticize things like this, and we should. I mean, I think we should get, like, real caught up and blown away by the power of God and, and really want it in our lives. But as you track further in the book of Acts, even as near as Acts chapter 17, you find that it wasn't all just declaring and spirits leaving. Okay, there was some toiling, there was some work, there were some haters, there were some people who mocked, I mean, there were some people who wanted to kill the apostles, okay, so like we, we can rev, really revel in the moment, I love that this girl is being freed, I desire for this kind of missional aspect, you know, where I can just like enter a room and spirits leave people, I mean, that's great, uh, you know, but, but some of the work clearly in the book of Acts is not just a matter of uh, get out of her. Once the woman was free from this demonic spirit, obviously she no longer brought her owner's wealth, and that, well, that was problematic. 
Um, and, and the owners kind of dragged Paul and his band of uh, um, um, ministers before the magistrate. And they said, hey, these guys are impeding and, and kind of infringing upon our wealth. And something's going to be done. And the power structure to be, well, they threw Paul and his gang in prison. How about that for freeing a demoniac? You know, it's pretty wild. Um, so they are brought into prison. And um, later in, again, we're just breezing through Acts chapter 16, but later in verses 25 through 26, of which we'll read next, Paul and Silas are praising God in prison. Now, I don't know about you, but if I'm ever in prison, I won't get into any details about that, um, any current stories there. I'll just leave that as a side note. But um, I, I'm wondering what my reaction to being put in prison would ever be. Like, would it be? I, I don't think I could necessarily see myself, you know, getting my praise on in prison. But here Paul and Silas is doing the right thing. They're in prison. They start singing hymns to God, verse 25 says. And the prisoners are listening to their praise. And then in 26, it says, and suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations, just get a picture of this. I can't even wrap my mind around this, right? The foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were opened up and everybody's bonds were unfastened. This is unbelievable. So now, again, just breezing through chapter 16 as a result of this thing that transpires is Paul and Silas are praising the guard just happens to give his life to Christ at first he's going to kill himself because he thinks all the prisoners have just left he's like oh surely the, the, the power structure to be are going to kill me anyways I might as well drive a sword right in my stomach and just end it now Paul speaks out and says don't take your life and, and as you get into the details of 16 and, and the details of that story, the prisoner gives his life to Christ. But not only the prisoner, it, the Bible says his whole household was saved. Oh, I'm telling you, small price to pay for salvation, I would say. Prison, you know. And so that happens around uh, verses 27 through 33. And then we get on to 35 through 40, essentially Paul and his band are too dangerous to keep around. They're causing too much trouble. They're, 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 they're kind of infringing on people's wealth, you know. They're, 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 um, they're, they're breaking up prisons, you know. It's just crazy. So the, the, the logical, you know, uh, uh, reasoning uh, for the power structure, the higher powers, the magistrate, is just like, let them go. And that's around verses 35 through 40. And this is actually where we pick up. In Acts chapter 17, the crux of the sermon this morning and the text that I would like to kind of zero in on. Can we pray? Father, I, I thank you for your word. And I thank you, God, that in your word we see and we hear the power of these stories. Lord, we thank you that in your word you declare by your spirit that this word is a sharp, two-edged sword. And God, we kind of handle it as just another book. It's not another book. It's a sword and it has the power to, to expose lies and reveal truth. And so God, I, I pray, Lord, that now by your Holy Spirit that you would illuminate the truth of these scriptures and these texts and these stories. 
that, that we would be benefited, Lord, that we would feel the, the sword of your word pierce our hearts this morning. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. So, now, I, I would strongly encourage you to, to, like, read Acts 15, 16, and 17, because uh, we just breezed. There are so many things happening. I can't even begin to wrap my mind around the awesome stories in those chapters. Um, but essentially, uh, what ends up happening as Paul and Silas and his buddies are released, um, they, after this whole um, occasion, go to Thessalonica. Uh, they actually don't just stop at Thessalonica, they go to Berea, and actually, where we're going to read, uh, stop in Athens. But essentially, Paul is by himself at the moment he reaches Athens, because back in Thessalonica, although there was many who were persuaded to the message that Paul gave them, there were many that were enraged as well, and they kind of chased off Paul and his ministry's buddies away out of the city. And once they landed in Berea, they found that the ground and the hearts of the people there were far more receptive than those in Thessalonica. But yet Thessalonica, the dudes who kind of incited... Um, some, some rage and some hatred towards Paul and his buddy. They heard that things were going well in Berea. What did they do? They packed up and went to Berea and incited some things there and started, you know, raging there and bringing uh, some, some uh, uh, you know, just, just, they're haters. They're haters, right? And, and they seem to be following uh, 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 Paul around. And what happens is, is when the word gets to the people in Berea that these guys are coming to agitate and cause trouble, uh, they quickly send Paul away and he ends up in Athens. And this is where we read in chapter 17, verse 10 through 15. Is everybody okay? All right, I know as a charismatic church, we're not used to hearing a lot of the stories behind the text that we read, but I did my best and hopefully that was informative and helps us understand uh, where we're gonna enter in now in uh, chapter 17, verse through 10, uh, 10 through 15. And in verse 10, we read, the brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they had arrived there, they went to a Jewish synagogue. Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures uh, daily to see if things were so. Many of them therefore believed uh, with not a few Greek women of high standing as well as men. But as the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was proclaimed by Paul at Berea, also they came there too, agitating and stirring up the crowds. Then the brothers immediately sent Paul off on his way uh, to the sea, but Silas and Timothy remained. Those who conducted Paul brought him as far as Athens. And after receiving the command, uh, Silas and Timothy would come to him as soon as they could. They would depart. Now, here's the first part of uh, what I mean by get angry. As Paul enters Athens, uh, we read this in verse 16. Now, Paul was waiting for them, Timothy and Silas, uh, in Athens, and his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that that city was full of idols. Key word, provoked. Okay? That word means that Paul got angry. He was irritated. He was annoyed. Much like the, the emotions he experienced uh, uh, when that woman was saying what she was saying, but yet she was possessed by a demon. 
The key thing here that I want you to get is Paul felt something. Thank you, honey. You know, because we can go into this evangelistic thing feeling absolutely nothing for people and, and where they're at and, and how the enemy is victimizing and beating them up and, and has their hearts. You can go in and share your faith all you want. You feel nothing. Nothing ultimately is going to happen. Paul feels something. He's provoked. He's angry. I know that may not go over well in church. Some of us think like, you know, Jesus never got angry. Have you read the Bible? Okay, Jesus didn't die on a cross because he never got angry, friends. Okay? Like, like Paul, the apostle, Peter, these guys got angry. But here it is. They didn't get angry at people. Okay? That, that's, the, that's the distinction here, all right? You see that Paul is provoked by what? Idolatry. Okay? So, but again, the, 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 the thing that I want to go after the most here is that if you feel nothing, you might as well stay home, brother and sister. Because, you know, if you can't look at a homeless man or a homeless woman and something happen in your heart of great sadness and, and like, what can I do? Then you're no use. I'm sorry, that might seem a little hard and harsh, but it's just the truth. If we can't look at Cambridge and see more than just a fancy little uh, intellectual, you know, a hub you know, if we can't see beyond that veneer, I say stay home. That's what I say. I say we might as well stay in these, these, these halls. So Paul, he felt something. You know, I, I'm a bit of a neat freak. I, I mean, I say that loosely, okay, because my kind of definition of neat is like, all right, the room's a little messy. Open the door of the closet, throw it in there, let's go. Okay, it's not necessarily like cleaning things up, right? But it, it works, you know, in, in that kind of last hour before company's coming, right? Like, it's just like, hey, we got like an hour, let's get this stuff in the closet, let's go. But, um, you know, something happens to me when I walk into a room that's just messy. Um, something comes on me, and I like to think that this is similar to what Paul's experience, right? It's funny but I get motivated when I see a mess. And, and, and Paul, in, in similar fashion, I believe, is provoked here simply because he sees um, how the enemy's grip and victimization of people um, is, kind of provokes something in his heart, right, to take action. You're not um, gonna be motivated to make disciples if your spirit's not provoked uh, uh, by the enemy's hold on people's lives, right? And, and we know that this is true, right? I mean, I can, I can walk into, you know, the craziest of situations and scenarios, you know, uh, um, and, and I don't even know really how to, you know, defi- I could walk into a restaurant, you know, where there's, there, there's um, I, I, wouldn't really get, I wouldn't give it into it because it would just be kind of rated R, but, uh, you know, you, you know when you kind of walk into a place that just doesn't, you, you, you kind of immediately get this check in your spirit. You're like, something's not right here. And I think this is what Paul lands upon. And I think as missional people, we should arrive at the same point. So, so if you've got to get angry, get angry, you know. Um, but get angry at the enemy. Punch the enemy in the face by loving people 
right? And, and sharing with them the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as we read on into the text, this is exactly what Paul does. And again, just, just I know I've, I've probably already butchered it, but I, we'll stay away from it. We'll go to the next point as it's getting late. Uh, point two is build a rapport with the people. Build a rapport with the people. You know, I, I love the fact that, you know, you, you kind of even look at Paul's own life. You're like, wow, man, in a moment, Jesus encounters him. His whole life is turned around, right? He goes from, you know, persecuting the people of God to now, like, uh, having a heart and wanting to champion their faith, their cause, and kind of be the, the, the major con- uh, contributor of, 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 of spreading their faith to the world and helping them. I mean, 33 books in the New Testament. Like, but, but one day he was one who persecuted the church, right? I, I, I mean, but yet in a moment, God encounters him. Jesus reveals himself to Paul and everything changes. I love those things. Or when we think about Acts chapter, uh, I think it's 16, 16, where the woman who's, who's uh, got this demonic spirit on her, it, 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 Paul just says, get out of her. And in a moment, everything changes. I mean, who doesn't want that kind of microwave, you know, like just pop it in the microwave, press a couple numbers, wait, oh, there it is. There's the popcorn, there's the hot pocket. Right, I mean, I, 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 we, we just, it's awesome. But yet it doesn't always come about that way. Meaning conversion, salvation, doesn't always come about that way. And it certainly doesn't happen here in Athens. In Acts 17, 17, we read that Paul reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons, the people who were devout to the word of the scriptures, in the marketplace, what? Every day. Every day, just highlight that, right? I mean, this is not Acts 16, 16. You hear me? Anybody tracking with me? This is not the woman who's just suddenly delivered from a demonic spirit. He's there every day. I imagine building relationships with people. Where are you every day? Man, consider that your missions field. That's what I would say. Paul's returning to the synagogue, what? In the marketplace daily. Bumping into the same people, most likely having some of the same conversations every day. Again, I know we love those Paul-like conversions, you know. I love them. They're awesome. I've seen them in my own kind of ministry journey where people's life, I'm, I think I'm a product of a, a life that has been just radically transformed in a moment, but yet it doesn't all happen like that. So build a rapport. Um, let me just give you a little bit of an illustration without taking too much time here. Um, Abram, my son, I always use kind of his experience with football just because it's a journey for me too. I'm learning a lot as a dad and, and, and whatnot. And um, he recently um, made this real competitive um, league and I've probably shared this. I'm sorry, I'm gloating on my son. But, you know, I have the mic. He's my son and I seem to be the pastor. So, and, no, I'm just kidding. Um, and, and, you know, at first we were all excited and jacked Jazz, that means happy um, uh, for our family. Uh, when he got um, accepted and kind of, you know, he was made the team. Um, but as we got to the details, we, figured, we found that, like, this wasn't all that competitive. 
And this wasn't all that elite as they kind of like, you know, made it out to be. And, um, you know, again, if my son was not good at football, I would strongly just come, like bring him aside and say, son, you know, I don't think football is your thing. I'm just, you know, this is my, it's my feel. You do what you want, but have you ever considered the flute? You know, like maybe anything. Um, so I, I would tell him, like, I, I'm that dad, okay? I'm not that dad just like, oh, yeah, you're great, man. I mean, if you stink, I'm going to tell you, son, in a loving way. I'm not going to tell him he stinks, but I'm going to say, it's time to think about something else, okay? But as we got into kind of the, the details of this elite kind of team that he made it on, uh, we found that it wasn't so elite and it wasn't so great. And I actually started getting concerned that if he played for the team, um, his football skill would actually drop, you know, kind of plummet a little bit. He'd get worse at the game, you know, because who you're around, I just, I have that kind of philosophy that who you're around kind of affects you, rubs off on you. And I'm looking at these other guys, I'm like, dude, you are way better than him, you know? I'm like, you know, what is that? And so I decided to lovingly come alongside and just say, hey, son, you know, I think it's time to um, drop out of this league uh, because I think over time, um, this is going to affect you in a way that you're not going to be happy about and your game isn't going to be as solid as it is now. And, and, and I guess the example that I want to I, I I kind of leave you with sharing that story is I had the long game in mind for my son. And, and some of us, when it comes to uh, missional work, sharing our faith, we don't just need the hot pocket, you know, pop it in the microwave, it's done, great, glory be to God. Although when it happens, yes, let's give glory to God. But, but we need our, the long game in mind. We need to know that building rapport with people is massively imperative to our evangelistic efforts. So missional work involves building relationships. Relationships can take a long time to build. Hallelujah. Anybody ever notice that? I mean, I'm still trying to build a relationship with my neighbor that started off rather rocky. Uh, but I'm in it for the long haul, and by the grace of God, I'll see something happen there as I'm committed. I'm sorry for yelling. I just, it happens, um, meaning I do it a lot. But relationships can take a long time to build. Now, we'll get to my third point, and we'll wrap it up. Um, my third point is be perceptive. If you're taking notes, um, just to go through it one more time, we talked about get angry, or I think more so uh, better words would be be provoked, build a rapport with people, and then lastly, be perceptive. I think we touched upon this last Sunday in John chapter 4 where Jesus was at the well with the woman and we talked about how the conversation started off with give me a drink, <laughs> I'm thirsty, you know. Uh, just kind of using some of the things that he was experiencing in his body, like thirst and, and, and the well, you know, using those things. He's perceptive. He's not oblivious to the obvious. He sees these things and he asks for a drink. Well, I think Paul does the same thing, right? Because in, we did read in Acts chapter 17, verse 16, that Paul saw what? The city was full of idols. He, he didn't discern that. It was something that God just Paul. You know, it, it, the city is full with idols. He looked around. He's like, wow, look at what's going on here. And, and even to the fact where I think in verses 22 or 24, 
um, or yeah, 22, I think. He, he sees the inscription. Now, we didn't read it, but you can read it for yourself. He sees this inscription in one of their idols. I, 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 I imagine it's like, um, what, what would you call those things today? The statues? And there's an inscription in the base that says, to the unknown God. And both of these things, what he saw and, 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 and seeing that inscription really provided the backdrop for the rest of the text and the conversation that follows in Acts chapter 17. But all of this happens not because he's hyper-religious walking through and trying to discern what's going on. It's clear. He sees it. It's before his eyes and he uses it as a moment. So to back and to affirm um, my, my, my point last Sunday of um, don't, or, or be aware of the obvious, um, I, I would just use this as well uh, as we, uh, you, know, uh, 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 you know, try to move our church to being more missional, is that we should ourselves be perceptive. And one more illustration that I promise, I know it's getting late, I don't know if we can go past 1245 without losing you, but I'm going to try with an illustration, Amen. Okay, so uh, funny story, but I think this is how it works, all right? Uh, me and my wife some time ago, maybe two, three years, maybe, I don't know if I'm, I don't know like really what time frame it was, but it was a while ago. We had the privilege of being invited to the summit, the leadership summit at One Thing um, by da our good friend Daniel Lim, uh, who is just a dear, precious friend and uh, brother, father figure to us. And... Um, and he invited us. He invited me to sing a couple songs. And he invited Bethany to sit on a panel uh, to discuss prayer with, I think, Billy Humphrey, Corey uh, Russell, and maybe a couple other dudes. I can't even remember. But uh, funny story. I I'm getting ready for my uh, time of leading worship. And, and I, you, know, you know, light didn't dawn on Marblehead. That means I didn't really come to um, acknowledging the crowd that I was actually going to be singing in front of. Uh, I, I didn't really, uh, I wasn't so aware of the obvious, but the crowd was much older than me. And um, I, I'm, I'm, I'm getting up and I'm thinking, hey, the voice sounds good. There's like 15, 1,700 people there. And I, I'm like, you know, everything should go without, you know, you know fail. This is going to rock. I'm going to blow this crowd's mind, Misty Edwards. Okay? I'm thinking... Mike is going to call me, all right? <laughs> I'm kidding. Uh, so I'm there, and I start with that beautiful song by the Heslers or the Helslers. I don't really know how to pronounce their last name, but it's, it's that Abba song. You know, Abba, I belong to you. I'm, I'm in it. I'm like feeling it. I'm like, man, I sound like Joe Cocker up there, man. I'm, I'm doing it, Okay. But I, I open my eyes for a brief moment and I realize nobody's singing with me. Much like some Sundays here. Praise God. Yeah, I said it. Nobody's singing with me. And to top it off, the majority of these 15 to 1700 people are sitting. Okay? As a worship leader, you got like double whammy. You don't want to see people not singing or standing. Like, you can have them standing and not singing. That's okay. We can get through that. But when it's the double trifactor, if I'm, if I'm saying that, like, no singing, no standing, Houston, we have a problem, all right? Missy Edwards is still going to have a job, all right? That's what I'm saying. 
Okay? So I, I, I suddenly, something clicks and like, oh my goodness, these guys probably don't know the song. I mean, it's on the overhead. The words are there, but they probably have never heard this, 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 this young song from young, new worship leaders. And so what do I do? I quickly morph to old school worship. I, 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 I quickly adjust. And, and you know, my like, kind of default in that moment is, how great is our God? Sing with me, how great. Right? You know this one? It's our God. Suddenly, everybody's getting up. I'm like, all right. You are the name above. Everybody's getting up, clapping, singing, and the whole room changes. What I'm saying here is that we need to be perceptive and aware of our surroundings. We need to adjust. We need to stop thinking that culture is going to adjust to us all the time. We need to be perceptive, aware, and saying what works, what doesn't work. And I'm not saying that, you know, there, there's different levels here and there's so much more to unpack. But unfortunately, we are almost at the 45-minute mark, praise the Lord. And um, not that I mind, but you might mind. But these are, these are helpful things, you know. And, and I, I do believe that we could be more perceptive. We could be more aware of what works and what doesn't work. And, and, and then when we're seeing things that don't work, we quickly adjust, much like I did in that moment. I wasn't just gonna drag people through the latest Bethel songs that they didn't know. I was gonna go to something that they could relate to. And I think there, there's biblical precedence for this where Paul does the same thing. And, and much to many critics, they, 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 there's so many around, there's so much thought in commentary around Acts chapter 17, even some who kind of misunderstand Paul's um, approach. They kind of see him as compromising. Why don't you hit it hard? Why don't you go after the idols, Paul? But man, I'd encourage you to read Acts chapter 17 and read actually what Paul said, even as far as he went to quote a philosopher of theirs. I don't know, I think it's something to think about something to consider as we work to become more missional as a church. Bow your heads with me. Father, I I thank you for all that we have gotten into um, these several weeks. Uh, Lord, and how we are trying to move our church closer to the second commandment, God, in a real visible and meaningful way. And and God, I thank you that these are helpful tools. These are gifts of your grace, Lord, to lead us along, Lord, that path, Lord, of becoming a missional people. Lord, from from taking it out of the ethereal, God, God, kind of like in the sky, Lord, oh, like it would be great to be that, to actually being it. God, that's what we want. That's what we desire the most. We we want to be that uh, group of people that you send into the earth, spreading and sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, I I pray that you'd help us. I've done my best. Now I count 
and rely upon your spirit to do the rest. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen.